Oh, great. That's quite uh, emotional, these, uh, those remembrance and those two minutes and those verses. They're so powerful and so epic in their proportion. It's global, it's uh, eternal, and uh, so rightly so. There's a bit of som- somber reflection and remembrance there. And uh, it's hard, in a way, to preach on the back of that, um, but I'm going to do my best. And uh, we are going to carry on in our series on the genius of Jesus. I love that title as the guys decided to, uh, what was the title for our next series? It's got a real, almost an edge to it, because you don't often use genius and Jesus together, partly because we use genius to describe maybe intellectuals, and, and uh, we kind of see Jesus, he wasn't intellectual, he was, he was God, but actually there is a genius in who Jesus was. He is the most intelligent. Every bit of knowledge comes from him. He is masterful and great and awesome. Every, every great mind is a pale reflection of the master himself. And so there is a genius in Jesus' intellect. He is God. Beyond anything we will know, all-knowing is omniscient. It's this knowing all things. That is beyond an Einstein and any great mind. And so when we're looking at Jesus, we think of, we do need to think of his genius and also his words that are full of truth. They're they're like words of no other being. No other human being has ever said the things that Jesus has said. And even those that don't believe in him as God take his sayings as some of the most important and powerful and life-changing words that are in existence today. But also the genius of Jesus is in his life. It was a genius of God to come as a man, the incarnation. Who would have imagined that? What great mind could have planned a salvation that meant dying for the people he created? God himself becoming an embryo and growing as a young boy in Palestine and dying for the people he created. This is the genius of Jesus. And today what we're doing is we're going to be looking at some of his genius with regard to fear. So handling fear, dealing with fear, and we're going to look at some of the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. And uh, we're Jesus' disciples now, not the, the 12 and not the 120 and the others who called themselves his disciples, but now because we are followers of Jesus We are like them in the sense that we are now living our lives for him. He's our master, our sensei. We're the apprentice, the learners. And we're looking to live our lives as Jesus would live his. That's the the aim. That's what a disciple is. And so the words of Jesus to them are very powerful because they're also words to us. There's a direct link in that kind of timeline of people from Jesus to his disciples, to the people in the church. Now the words of Jesus recorded for us to be encouraged by and helped with. This passage that we're going to read comes after Jesus has just announced to his disciples that now you've been hanging around with me for a while, now you've been seeing what I'm doing, And if you remember what Jesus was doing, he was going around the synagogues. If we read in Matthew 10, 
He's going around the synagogues and he's, what is he doing? He's teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And the disciples have been going around with Jesus. This is a great gig. This is brilliant. They're they're stirred. They're a rabble of different people from tax collectors through to fishermen. And they're following Jesus. He's doing the stuff. And this gets to the point where Jesus says, and now your turn. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to send you out two by two, your turn now. I mean, can you imagine what that would have felt like? No, 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 this is good. We like the way it's working out. You do the stuff. We're kind of there. Yeah, go Jesus. And so I'm trying to, it was this morning when I was, I was reading it again, I realized, you know, when you read Jesus sends out the 12, have you got that in your Bibles? Jesus sends out the 12. Those headings, we've seen them so many times. They don't mean anything. But today, as I saw, I'm like, goodness me, that is, that is a very challenging very challenging dynamic that those disciples remember they I mean Jesus was so fed up with them after they're just like they're not getting it they're weak they're just they're arguing among themselves and it's like okay I want you to go and do what I've been doing so that I imagine a lot of things in your mind I was and I didn't but I was going to start off my message saying actually today I'm not going to be speaking to you we're all going to go out into Horsforth and we're going to preach the gospel, we're going to heal the sick, and we're going to raise the dead, and I bet you'd be going, you know, I didn't do that, because that's not very nice. But there's something in that, that is a little bit of what, imagine doing that, right, we're all going to go into Holsworth, and go into Costa, and whoever you sit next to, I want you to share share the good news of Jesus, and if they're sick, offer to pray for them, you'd be like, ah, there's a fear that rises up, for whatever reason, and we're all different, and some are more scaredy, some are pretty okay, but we're all on the spectrum, if I could use that word, the fear spectrum at some point. So the disciples were hearing Jesus saying, I'm going to send you out. So as you hear these words, remember these are words that are going to help them and comfort them and strengthen them. So as we hear these words, how to deal with fear, I want you to hear the genius of Jesus as he hits their fears head on and gives them comfort as he commands them not to be afraid. Matthew 10, verses 24 to 31. He's had a few statements that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, and this is where we've got up to. So he says, guys, a student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. So if the head of the house has been called Bilzebul, or it's a hard one to say, Bilzebul, I always thought it was Bilzebub, but it's anyway, when you read the commentaries, it's all different words for saying, talking about Satan, talking about the chief of demons. How much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. Here's his words. Do not be afraid, James. Do not be afraid, Peter. Do not be afraid, Matthew. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak it in the daylight. And what is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, James, you're listening, Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Ooh, getting serious now. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. 
And even the hairs of your head, Judas, are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words recorded for us. Jesus, thank you for your genius and your incredible words that are like no others. They are full of power. They are living and active. And we ask you, Lord, today that your words would come with real power straight into our hearts. I pray that these words might dispel and remove fear, that as we listen to your words, that we would find courage and boldness and faith rising. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you lead, would you speak, would you open our hearts to you? We're your people, these are your words, would you speak to us in Jesus' name? Amen. There are quite a number of different kinds of fear that come to us in our human experience. As human beings, we have a variety of different fears. And um, if Matt was here, he would be telling us, because he's very vulnerable like this, he would be starting off his message by telling us his, uh, his deepest fear. Now, I actually happen to know one of these because he did mention it in his Preach to Central. And it has something to do with cows. So I'll just leave it at that because I don't want to embarrass him anymore. But apparently, bovinophobia is a, is a thing. And uh, 15 people over the last however many, or 75 people have been trampled by cows in the UK over the last 15 years or something like that. So Matt's worried. I mean, he's concerned. So you can talk to Matt afterwards and pray for him. But there are some fears that are a bit like, what? But I imagine that, you know what? And I was trying to, see, I was trying to be like Matt and be really vulnerable with a fear that I had. But I didn't have one like that. But I do have a fear that, uh, this is quite pertinent to this morning. I often have a recurring dream, especially when I'm about to preach, that I stand up and then I haven't got any notes and I have no idea what to say. I think it's a preacher's dream or a preacher's fear. The worst one when I was actually in Westminster Tabernacle, Westminster, where Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher, used to preach. And in my dream, I was standing up. I had been invited to preach there and I got up and there was nothing. It was a fear. I woke up. It was a nightmare. It was. So I have a, a little bit of a fear of that. Um, one at you just if you are able just turn to the person next to you and just maybe give them a quick just short just say what you're what you fear what you're afraid of it can be the funny ones it can be the serious ones but just have a quick have a quick talk say if you've never said it couples maybe now's the time to get real (laughs) okay very good some of you are, some of the guys are like, oh, actually, I can't think of one either. And some of you are looking pretty scared listening to what the other person said. You're like, really? Okay, we're done. Okay, I guess lots of fears. All right, can I have you back now, please? So there are quite a few different types of fear. And uh, there's, I mean, lots of different categories, but I think we could kind of break down a few into uh, these three that I've got. There's a fun fear. So this is the fear that kind of gets us to go on roller coasters. I mean, what? I mean, some people are like, no way. Other people are like, yes. There's something about that fun fear or jumping off a bridge with big elastic bands tied to your ankles and jumping out of planes. That's a kind of fear that people like. 
It's a good, it's kind of, well, no, not a good fear, but a fear that people like. I've done all of those, actually. Quite good. Yeah, so, uh, fun. I like some of that fun fear. Um, secondly, there's a good fear, as in a healthy fear. And this is a fear that is the rationale to make you run for danger or into safety. There's a kind of fear that will save your life. It's the threat of imminent harm or danger. And our bodies are wired that way, so it kicks in a response. So I, I imagine we have some of the doctors. We've got a lot of doctors in the north, so saying anything medical. But there is a, an incredible reaction that happens in your body to flight or fight response to a, a, a suspected threat or imminent danger, where the hormones immediately released into your system of adrenaline and those other ins and non-adrenaline and some of no adrenaline and so and there's all these technical terms but it's incredible how God has wired the body to react to real danger and real threat and so there's a healthy danger of of harm and dangerous situations so there's a good fear uh, there's a kind of fear um, that God has given us. He invented it to, in order to survive and live in this world. And it's connected with us. We can't kind of devoid fear from who we are as if it's like, don't be afraid. It's something that we can't, we, you know, it's a natural response to dangerous and sometimes perceived threats, a healthy fear. But then there is a third type of fear which we call paralyzing fear. So it's a fear, not the, <gasps> I don't know what to do, but a kind of fear that will paralyze you and restrict you from being able to have deep relationships. And if you're a Christian, this sort of fear keeps you from radical, outward-focused life that we're called to. There's a fear, a paralyzing fear that prevents us from being the people and the witnesses that Jesus has asked us and called us to be. And this is what we're going to be looking at today. This fear that prevents us from speaking out, from saying things when everything in you is going, I, mean, I need to say something now, and you don't. The kind of paralysis that goes, ah, oh, I can't say that now. It's too, too difficult, too many things that might happen. And I just, I'm not, I, I'm just, uh, that paralysis. Anybody, anybody know that? I think we all do it different degrees. We know, sometimes you wouldn't call it fear, but actually the root of that withholding and that stopping is actually fear stops us speaking up stops us praying for the sick stops us sharing our faith constantly worrying about what people think how we look how we compare how they might judge us it's a it's a challenging dynamic that we probably face with every day at some some level i uh Matt had a, a great story. This is, this is going to be like my stories aren't as good as Matt's stories, but I, I think he, he has an amazing story of when he was at university and how he had to confront his flatmates who were being so mocking and so uh, antagonistic towards him as he was a Christian in his, in his years at university. And uh, there are some moments that you've probably had when you know real opposition to your faith. When you've said something or when something has happened, maybe a family member, maybe you've said something or done something that has really caused a real rift with someone you love or maybe with a friend. And that fear of, goodness me, what's happening is really real. But there's also the fear that 
comes from just simple situations. And I, I saw Joel here today. I don't know whether he's here in there. Yeah, there's Joel. Joel uh, heads up our cricket team. And this is going to sound really silly, but I was just trying to think of the moments when actually the fear sneaks up on you and you, you kind of make a decision or say something out of fear that you don't mean to. Well, we, I played a couple of games for the Mosaic cricket team and uh, I hadn't played since I was 11. So I was pretty, actually, I was scared of that. I was scared of the cricket ball. Well, I wasn't when I was 11. I'm like, come on, now when I'm 40 something, the cricket ball seemed very hard and very fast. Anyway, so there's another fear, fear of cricket balls. So that's not good. Sorry, Joel. Anyway, I was playing cricket and I had the game on that Wednesday. And in my uh, office where I work, uh, Paul, who heads up another company, he, he was, I, we said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm playing cricket. And he said, oh, what team are you playing for? So that's a very simple question. I'm like, oh, well, it's a team that um, we have a few different teams in a kind of league. And there's one from, uh, from a local hospital that, that play. I'm like, what is going on? I didn't, I mean, how easy, how great and mighty missionary to Japan am I to say, actually not saying it's my church team. And so I think sometimes we can get, it's not like a constant state of I am now bold. You know, we don't become, we're not now got the kind of this boldness that is just ours. We, we have to, we have to. We have to speak by faith, right? It's not just, now I'm this bold, and then as we grow and we go more and more bold. Well, actually, we need to draw upon God's strength in those moments. So I was afraid of what he was going to think if I said, I'm playing for my church team. Now, actually, he knows I go to church, so I didn't know what was going on. But there was fear in that dynamic that I didn't want to say it was a church team. I'm embarrassed about that, actually, and I'm preaching on fear, and I was embarrassed and afraid to tell him. That's real. I, 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 you know, and that is really, that's fear, fear of what he would think. And it's very challenging, and I think we all have those moments where fear prevents us from saying what we want to say. I wanted to say, I mean, I've talked to him about, uh, so anyway, there we go. There's my, there's my experience just recently of fear where I needed to be brave and say, actually, I'm playing cricket for my church. What might have happened after that? So there we go. Christians can be afraid of being rejected, of saying it wrong, maybe not getting it right. Like if I say it like that, uh, he's going to think I'm, I'm a bit religious and then he's not going to do this. And then, so our brain starts running away and then the moment's gone. So that fear, initial fear, stops us from going forward. Maybe we're not able to answer the difficult questions. So if you start off, then you think, I'm not going to be a handle if they say, well, what about wars in the world? And what about suffering? And then I, I don't know. So there can be lots of fears that we have, fear that I don't have the answers to say to them. Maybe fear of being challenged. Maybe being shamed by friends. Someone would say, yeah, he plays church cricket for a church team. Afraid of the impacts professionally. It's a, it's, it is a fearful environment to speak openly about what you believe. Because there can be potential ramifications for your job. If you say the wrong thing, you say it to the wrong person, they can then take it and say, you know what that guy does. And suddenly it's out and the whole staff knows and your job is in jeopardy. So that is not a perceived threat. That is a real situation that we find ourselves in in 21st century Britain. Secular society where people who actually believe in God are 
well, especially if you're a Christian, if you believe in other gods, you're, you're fine, that's great. But if you start talking about Jesus, then there's real persecution and opposition. We have people from Mosaic who are actually now in places where they could actually be harmed, kidnapped, tortured, and killed for their faith. So we have people from this church who are now in situations where it is very, very dangerous for them to be living there and aiming to share the good news of Jesus with people in the nations where they are. It's real. So this is not a fear that's like, just imagine. There are some real fears. There are real dangers and real challenges that we are facing. So it's not like, oh, don't be afraid. It's all right. It's going to be fine. No, no, it's not. It's dangerous, it's challenging, it's difficult, it's harsh, it's hostile to those who love Jesus. This secular society is closing its grip on people who love Jesus. So this fear is not unwarranted or uh, just a perceived fear. And Jesus' way of dealing with our fear is itself a little scary because he doesn't get us to avoid it. It's not like, okay guys, hunker down, I'm coming back, just ride it out and we'll be fine. You know, Jesus says, no, I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. I mean, great, that's what he said to the disciples just after he said, I'm going to send you out, and now you're like lambs to wolves. Oh, great. I mean, if not, as, as if they weren't feeling bad enough already. It's like, where's Peter? I'm going to go with Peter. He's, you know, he's got a sword, and he's strong. And, you know, it's like, and don't take a bag. What? Take a bag? I, what do you mean? I don't, what do, what do you mean don't take a bag? Just where you go, stay with the people you're with, find people of peace. If they reject you, shake the dust off your feet, go on to somewhere else. I mean, the disciples are like, what? I, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a real challenge. And Jesus' words to them are what he's saying to us. He's saying, I want you to go. I want you to be light. Remember that passage in Matthew 5. You are a light for the world. You're a city on a hill. You're not to be hidden and that's what we are. We're a light for the world. Jesus is the light of the world, and we're his people, shining with the brightness of Jesus, his love and grace and purity. We stand out. And Jesus is saying, I want you to go. I want you to be like sheep and lambs among wolves. This is how Jesus gets us to work through our fears, not by holding us back, keeping us safe. It's all right. You're a bit scared. I know. Let's just stay here. Jesus said, I know you're afraid, but I want you to go. And here are some of the things he says. Now, he uses a bit of a technique. You've heard a technique is the wrong word. A kind of way of speaking that's a bit like, you know, the phrase divide and conquer. It's kind of like if you divide up your troops and you kind of multiply out, then you can conquer them. Well, this is a kind of command and comfort. All right, say that after me. Command and comfort. So Jesus says a command to them, do not be afraid, or don't be afraid of them. And then he gives them a comfort. Isn't that helpful? It's not just, okay, disciples, don't be afraid, see ya. You know, Jesus is aware, he knows what they're like. He spent a year or so, I don't know how exactly when this was, he knows they're fearful, he knows they're stupid. I mean, you know, just like, come on, guys. He knows their frame, he knows their weaknesses. Then there were men just just like us, weak, not getting it, not got enough theological knowledge, not being saved very long. You know, there's all the excuses that we have, they had in abundance. And Jesus' words to them are therefore helpful and strengthening for us, comforting. You know that word comfort, like the 
paracletos is the word. I mean, you've probably heard loads of times. The comforter, the Holy Spirit. In the original language, it's the one who comes alongside. So this is the very nature of Jesus and God to say, go and do this and I'm with you, right? It's the command and comfort. This is how God works in our lives. Not just a command and then get on with it, but a command with, a, with the power to do it, right? I love Jesus. Genius. This is where Jesus is beyond. I mean, it's incredible. His way of teaching, his way of encouraging. It is masterful. The leadership of Jesus was beyond any other genius of leadership that you could possibly imagine. He is masterful. And his words are genius for the disciples. So let's look at the first one. 24. The student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. If the head of the house is called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Now, Jesus says, don't be surprised that it's going to be hard when you're on a mission. This is what he's saying. He's saying, basically, guys, if they persecuted me, if they called me the son of the devil and the enemy, and the evil one, they will treat you in just the same way. Great. <laughs> I mean, the job, okay, great, good to know. But it is important to know. It is important to know that this is, we shouldn't be surprised if there are challenges that face us. Maybe you're a new Christian, you've become a Christian in the last few months or year, and you're like, great, this is really good, I'm loving God, and this is brilliant. Well, there's, there's challenges, and we know that. It's not like, okay, it's all going to be plain sailing. We know that Jesus says, in this world, you'll have trouble. If you identify with me, you will be persecuted. You will be disrespected. You will be hated. And there even can be strife in families and friendships because of me. Maybe you've experienced some of those already. Jesus says, don't be surprised if you encounter hostility and danger and people being against you. If the teacher gets attacked, their students will too. If Jesus is called the devil, then you will be accused too. Peter wrote, so remember, Peter was listening to Jesus saying these things. And Peter wrote to the Christians in Asia Minor later, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you to prove you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. So there's Peter who heard those words of Jesus. Remember, guys, students aren't above their teachers. Now he's passing on that wisdom, that genius, to the followers of Christ spread out across Asia. Don't be surprised as if something strange is happening to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will face fiery ordeals and challenging circumstances. And one of the elements of fear is encountering something unexpected. So it takes us off guard. It's like fear is produced when suddenly the big dog runs around the corner or the bicycle suddenly, or the car suddenly goes to the corner and hits you. That's where fear comes into being. But Jesus said, don't be surprised if you face animosity and hatred from people. Don't be afraid. Uh, Zana, my uh, youngest daughter, is, is taken to rugby recently and she thinks now that she has complete carte blanche to tackle me whenever and wherever. There's a rugby ball right here because it comes to church, it goes to bed with her. It's, suddenly it's all things rugby and I've got a bit of a back, dodgy back, so she 
jams into it. I'm like, oh, Tanya, you can't do that. We were on Ilkley Moor and I went down in the moor, but I, I was prepared for that one, but I let her do it. So anyway, so there's a surprise there. It's like, oh, you hit me. Jesus is saying, don't be, you're not going to be rugby tackled out of the blue from people. You will face opposition. You will. You will face challenge and, and difficulty. Jesus is saying, don't be surprised. And Jesus sweeps away this by telling us ahead of time, very matter-of-factly, that if we try to be like our teacher and like our master, we'll be mistreated. We need not be taken off guard or lose our emotional balance or suddenly go, ah, what's happening to me? Things are not absurd. They are quite under God's control, all foreseen and predicted by the Lord. Therefore, we should not be fearful. Everything that happens, he knows. The first command and comfort then is, so don't be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight, and what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. So we know we are to expect the challenge and the difficulties, and now Jesus commands us not to be afraid. And it's the most common command in the whole of the Bible. If you look it up, preachers love having those things. It was said 943 times. I don't know how many times it was said, but if you read the Bible, it's said a lot. Don't be afraid. And often it's when there's an angel or an angelic being, which I can understand. Don't be afraid because they're petrified. So lots of those we can't, don't really count. But there's a lot of ones where it's it, the disciples, don't be afraid. Jesus said, don't be afraid. It's an amazing comfort, and it's the most used uh, phrase in the Bible. And it's, it's a wonderful thing, really, when you think about it. God, the one who, sh- who induces such fear among the nations, should say to us, don't be afraid should be afraid of God, but Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. Like We're coming on to that in a bit. So Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. And uh, how can this phrase be a comfort? So I know you're trying to follow me. You're like, wait, 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 I'm a bit lost. Jesus says, don't be afraid. And then he says, what does he say? He says, uh, don't be afraid, for there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. How's that a comfort to me? That sounds worrying. That's like, uh, I'm thinking about maybe the end of time when everybody, I've heard a message once where they say, all your sins are going to be up on the the big overhead projector. That shows my age, doesn't it? It's on the screens and everybody's going to see that. Everybody heard a message like that to make you feel really bad about it? Some people take that on. It's like everything that you've ever done is going to be revealed. And everybody's going to see it. You're like, oh, I feel so guilty and bad and shameful. That is not what's going to happen. Jesus says, your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. There is going to be no screen with all your atrocities and your lies and your sins on the big screen in heaven. Jesus has covered that. It is gone. It is separated. There is nothing now that is in your account. You are not declared not guilty. You are declared righteous before God. What is going to be revealed is your works and your life, and your faith. This is what the Bible leads us to understand is going to happen on that day, is that we're going to be rewarded and shown the 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 crowns that are be given this this analogy we don't know exactly what that will be can you imagine that for all the christians that ever been but somehow in god's infinite wisdom and greatness in heaven there will be a bestowing of 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 
of honor and, and, and crowns. And, and, and this, is, this, this language is a bit weird for us as Christians. We think, really? We're not about rewards. I just, it's just great that I can just do this. for. No, Jesus speaks of that. Your rewards in heaven. Remember, why do we give? Why do we give of our money? Because we know that we are storing it up in heaven. It's not like just give all your money and be a, be, 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 just be an aesthetic. No, we're actually investing in the age to come. It's about what will be happen then. And so what Jesus is saying is, this is something that one day will be revealed. Your faith and your works and the injustice you've received and when you've tried to say the right things and when you've shared about me and when you've loved and not received love and when you've been treated unjustly, that is all going to come into the light. It is all going to be worth it. One day, your pain and your agony and your suffering will one day, will one day all be made right. The sacrifice that they made. Think of the disciples. Most of them were crucified and killed because of what they believed, what they did for Jesus. Peter, crucified upside down. These men who gave everything and laid down their lives, they obtained a great resurrection and a great reward in heaven. One day, everyone will see the wisdom and the genius of Jesus and how you lived your life for him. That is great comfort. When you face fear, when you're in a terrible situation, eternity brings such comfort and the knowledge that one day this will all be over and one day everything that is hidden will be revealed and Jesus will be honored. In other words, truth will out and justice will prevail. Every bit of mockery, everything... Every time you've been looked down on, every time you've been misunderstood, will all be revealed. Every moment when you have suffered unjustly because of your faith will be put right. Second command and comfort. Don't be afraid of those who will kill the body. Have we got this up? Do not be afraid of those who will kill the body. Guys? Peter, you listening? James, Matthew, Ready? Don't be afraid of those people, those outside who can kill the body. That was very real for them. Very real for the Christians then. They were people being executed and killed in the arenas for their faith. Now, it's hard to grasp the power of those words. But for people in places in the world today, this, these words are so precious. For the persecuted church around the world that we've been hearing so much about this year, these words are comfort and strength to them. Whereas for us, they're like, oh yeah, nice, we'll talk about it on Sunday and try and gain something. Let's feel the impact. People out there to kill you and take you away. These words of Jesus are so helpful, so powerful. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So the command is, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of people who can harm your body, who can put you in prison, who can injure you. But why shouldn't we be afraid? How can we not be afraid of that? Because... Those that are against us 
can only hurt us physically and emotionally. They cannot rob us of our relationship with God and future in heaven with him. Remember, Jesus says, they can only kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Ultimately, you are safe in the hands of God. They cannot touch you. They can kill your body. They can image you. They can, they can damage you, but they cannot get to your soul, who you really are. You are alive, and only God has the power over your soul and your life. Rather, we need to fear God, the one who judges mankind and who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, this is very strong language. Jesus isn't afraid to use the word hell. A lot of places are these days. This is a place of eternity without God. It is real. God will judge the living and the dead, and there is a real place outside from the mercy and love and grace and presence of God that the Bible describes as hell. And that is a place for people who have not, have not loved God. They have not loved God. They have gone their own way, and all of us have sinned. And that is a travesty and the worst sin possible. That's why we say, well, I haven't done many things wrong. Actually, not fearing God and not loving God is the ultimate sin. It is a rejection of the very creator and the one who made you. And this verse, maybe you're here and you're thinking, oh, I'm not actually, I don't really believe in God. And this is the, the challenge. Some people don't fear God because they don't think he exists. And for others, it's because they've got a hardened heart. And maybe for some others, it's that they think they have the answers in them of themselves. But please listen. There is a God who is real and who will judge all of mankind. Everyone who has ever lived, every boy, man, woman, girl. And he will decide our eternal destinies. Our response to him is the difference of our eternal destiny. All of us, and this is the very important thing, all of us deserve hell. We all deserve to be shut out from the presence of God forever. We have sinned against him. We have fallen short of his glory. We have despised the creator. We are all in a serious condition. That is the important part of the gospel. We are lost. We have no hope. We have no way of getting out. We are going to be separated from him forever because of our sin. Because Adam sinned, all men sinned. In Adam. That's what it means to be a human being. We're in Adam. We're part of the human race that sinned and has fallen. Now, says now, God has given us a way out of that situation. And that is in Christ. Before you were in Adam, you were sin. You were separated from God. And now through Jesus, he has given us a way out. And a way to be in Christ. And safe and with God forever. That is the good news of the gospel. That is why it's good news. Because you're lost, dead, destroyed, in hell forever. And Jesus says, this is the good news. That's why it's good news. The, the evangelism, the gospel, evangelion, it's good news. In, uh, in Japanese, the kanji or the letter is happy sound. Isn't that great? The happy sound. I love it. So whenever it goes on the, on the, on the 
projector, the, the yeah, projector, it's like happy sound. It always made me think, yes, this is the good news. It's not like, oh, church. This is good news for everyone, everybody in Japan. This is the gospel for everyone who believes. This is for everyone. I've lost my train of thought. This is just so, so incredible. Uh, you know, there's God's anger is against us, but wonderfully, there's been a lifeline. And the lifeline is someone who feared the Lord. And this is amazing. Someone came to fulfill a prophecy who actually fulfilled all that God required. All the righteous requirements of the law were fulfilled in this man. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From its roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This man was the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. He not only had the right fear of God, but he delighted in it. He was perfect. I mean, talk about the genius of Jesus. He was perfect in every way, in every word, in every thought, in every respect. He feared God completely and utterly with reverence and awe. And because not only did Jesus understand the weight of God's righteous anger, But because he was sinless, he could stand before the fire of God's wrath and not be burnt. He bore the punishment, the sin, and the separation that was ours were placed on him. He became our substitute. He became the sacrificial lamb. All of the sin of mankind were placed on Jesus in that awful, excruciating hours as he died on the cross. All the pain and agony and guilt and shame and hostility he bore on the tree, on the cross, so that we might know freedom and safety and the love of God. He bore the wrath and the punishment that we might know love and peace and eternity with Jesus in heaven. This is the gospel. This is what the Christians around the world are proclaiming today as we remember those who laid down their lives that we might have freedom. They sacrificed their today so that we could have a tomorrow. This is the greatest, the greatest love that anyone could have. And Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his brothers. This is the ultimate sacrifice. And today we remembered the men and women who laid down their lives so we can have freedom and peace, that we can know our kids growing up in safety instead of tyranny. Can you imagine what would have happened if those who were the opposition had, would have got into power? This is unthinkable tragedy that we're starting to see around the world in different places. We celebrate and remember that they laid down their lives for our freedom. And Jesus paid the ultimate cost. He laid down his life for us. And that is why today we need to fear the Lord. And if you're here and you haven't done that yet, today is a chance for you to say, I know that I am a sinner and I need his love and his forgiveness. And there's an opportunity if you want. I'd love to pray with you. We can lead you through to salvation and friendship with God. Let's finish. His comfort 
is a little bit in disguise with the last part of this verse. It says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. We don't need to be afraid. The disciples didn't need to be afraid because they had a heavenly father who cared for them. And brothers and sisters, we have a heavenly father who cares for us incredibly. He knows every hair on your head. Now that again, doesn't that phrase just go, oh, the hairs on your head? Every single hair, every minute detail of your life, he knows. He loves you. He knows you better than you know yourself, better than your family, your friends, anyone. He loves you. He's your father who knows every intimate detail. It's like the two sparrows. What does that mean? Well, the penny, they were sold for food. They were often food for people. They were the cheapest form of food. Sparrows, don't want to eat that. But that's what they ate. And it was for a, a sixteenth of a denarius. Really cheap, really yucky, really horrible. The most, the most kind of insignificant thing that Jesus could, could bring to their attention. You know those things that you buy for a sixteenth of a denarius that taste horrible? And yeah, God, not one of them, not one of the millions of those tiny little creatures will fall to the ground that your heavenly father doesn't know about it. Wow. He knows. He sees. He understands. He is your heavenly father. He knows everything. This is a great comfort. When you're afraid and when you're going into something you know this is going to be difficult. Oh, what do we need more than anything? We need the love of God. We need the love of God. We were singing, here in the love of God, I stand. There is more strength in that line than we know. The love of God is the most powerful force in the universe. Is what sent his son to the cross. Love. God is love. We don't talk about love very much, but when they get old, these guys, John and Peter, you notice they speak a lot more about love? When they're young, they're like, oh, let me at them. And when they're old, they're like, oh, you need the love of God. <laughs> it's really powerful. And we need the love of God. This is the ultimate facing fear. Yes, we need commands that say well, everything will be exposed. Yes, that helps. Yes, it helps that you know, we, we need to fear God, but we need the love of God. His antidote to fear is love. Jesus' antidote to the fear that you face is the love of God. And brothers and sisters, we must, it is absolutely imperative that we receive the love of the Heavenly Father in order for us to fight fear and to be bold. We can't do it without it. Now, what is this love? Some of you may be, I I know this love, the Bible, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me. You kind of know it, but you don't know it. And this is very important that we know it, not knowledge-wise, but experientially. This is the amazing thing, the genius of Jesus. He says, guys and ladies, because there's a lot more of them, they're waiting, they're petrified. And Jesus has died, and he's come back, and then they're saying, we're we're petrified. And he says, wait, because I'm going to send another who's going to come alongside, the comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. You will be baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. It's an order. It's like, wait, be filled, and then go. This is 
the order that it always happens. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. We need to receive the love of God. Remember, you love because you first were loved. This is the, the divine order of things. And so Jesus is, is reminding his disciples, you need to know your Father loves you. And for us, as we go into our work week, as we speak to our families, as we in our situations, the thing that helps us to stand and counter an antidote to fear is, my Father loves me. And not only I know my Father loves me, but the Holy Spirit pours out the, Holy, the love of God into our hearts. Right? The connection. Make the connection. Have we got it next? God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this is not just, and I was trying to think of this, the filling of the Holy Spirit is like the Father's embrace. The filling of the Holy Spirit is like the Father's embrace. Jesus has reminded them, you have a Father who loves you, who cares for you, and receive his love, feel his love, experience his love. This isn't just words and truth. This is real experience of the love of God. This is, remember, the Holy Spirit is not a power. It is God himself. So what Jesus is saying is, you will have your Father with you. You will have your Father with you. Don't be afraid. Your Father cares for you and will be with you, in you, loving you, holding you. What do kids need when they're scared? They need their Father's arms around them. Then everything is okay. And the Holy Spirit is the Father's embrace. He is God with us, the empowering presence of God. So the antidote to fear is knowing the embrace of the Father, his presence in your life, and the love of God and his care over you. This is the antidote to fear. And this is the genius of Jesus. Guys, as I send you out, he's saying, no, the Father loves you. And I haven't, just wait for it because one day I'm going to go, but another's going to come alongside. They didn't get that bit then. He says it, but they didn't get it. They're like, uh, what is he talking about? We know now because we've got a Bible that explains it. We would have been like them. I don't understand. What do you mean you're going away and then you're going to come back? What are you talking about? Church, we now have live in the benefit of the New Testament where the words of Jesus are recorded and the explanation of the acts of the apostles are here so that we can face our deepest fears and challenges because the Holy Spirit is shed across the world and everyone can know the embrace of the Father. And so as we face our, our fears, we need to know that our Father loves us and our Father is with us. The Father cares and the Father is enabling us. So when you feel fear, it's not just, oh, I remember this verse that Tom preached about, what it is. Yes, there is that. But remember, truth is a person. This Bible, the words recorded of the truth began and is the person of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the truth. The Father is the truth. Remember, the truth is a person. God himself with us. Amen? This makes all the difference in the world. We're not trying to do this by ourselves. God is in us. And so when you next face a challenging situation, no, I have the Father's embrace. I know he loves me and I will speak. I will not be afraid because my Father loves me and my Father's love is in me and I will not be afraid and I will speak. Hallelujah. Let's stand.